Hi, I'm Jeannie Becker. Welcome to Beyond Style Matters. I've spent decades working in fashion's trenches, seen the best and the worst of human style, and had the opportunity to get up close and personal with some of the world's most intriguing characters. What I've learned about truly great style is that it goes far beyond what we wear. It's about the way we move through the world. On this episode, I talk about designer family ties and the synergy between fashion and interiors with Smythe designers Andrea Lenzner and Christy Smythe and interior designer Tommy Smythe. I'm always curious about how aesthetic sensibilities develop, what it is about someone's upbringing that gives them such a keen eye for shapes and colors and details. Canada's celebrated Smythe label that's dressed style icons from Kate Middleton and Meghan Markle to Nicole Kidman and Sarah Jessica Parker is designed by Toronto's Andrea Lenzner and Christy Smythe, two besties who started their signature impeccably tailored jacket line back in 2004. Sixteen years later, the lines blossomed and expanded into an eclectic, full ready-to-wear collection. Tommy Smythe is one of Canada's best-loved interior designers. Charming and charismatic, he's parlayed his talents into TV presenting over the years and earned a reputation of injecting a soulful, sometimes whimsical edge into the interiors he masterminds, joyfully walking the line between vintage and modern with his inimitable brand of savvy. Tommy is Christy Smythe's big brother, so evidently, even though their great-grandfather was hockey world legend Con Smythe, designer genes run in the family. Absolutely thrilled uh, to have the three of you on Beyond Style Matters. Andrea and Christy, you have brought to the world of Canadian fashion via Smythe. So wonderful because you really brought a sense of traditionalism to Canadian fashion. You, uh, your riffs uh, on um, wonderful eras, days gone by through the jackets and beautiful coats that you produce really brought I think, Canadian fashion to a whole new level, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And for Tommy, you know, Tommy, you really (laughs) have been uh, a great, uh, have brought a great sense of sunshine to our industry, um, to the whole world of uh, of fashion, style, interior designs. Your personality has been just incomparable, and uh, certainly the ideas that you have injected into home decor have stuck with us because you've brought such a great sense of whimsy um, as well to to everything. So, uh, you know, thank you for all that. But what I'm so interested in is knowing how did you guys grow up? I mean, did you always have such a great sense of style growing up? I know Andrea and Christy, you guys were friends in high school, obviously always loved fashion. I mean, did you always feel that you were destined to work in that arena? Yes and no. I think I maybe felt destined, but I wasn't encouraged by the adults throughout my life. I didn't really understand that it was a career choice until much later. So I came to it in a circuitous way, um, but it took me to be an adult and to understand that you want to have a lot of passion for what you do every day because a working life is a long life, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, you know, I didn't really understand as a young girl that I could 
pursue it. So it was a hobby. I used to keep scrapbooks of every show and every season and what I liked. I did my own edits. So it was like a hobby for me for a long time. And for Christy? I would say also, you know, Andrea and I, um, we sort of fell for each other. We were in different grades, but in the same high school. And we ended up in the same math class. And even though we wore a uniform, we recognized each other's style. And in math class, when we were supposed to be paying attention, we were sketching our prom dresses together. So (laughs) we always had this connection, the two of us, to fashion. But I would agree with Andrea's statement that I never saw it as a career until later, until we, you know, were finished university and had started first careers. But we were always doing things in our spare time, each of us, Andrea scrapbooking, I was knitting snowboarding hats. I mean, there were things that we were doing that always connected both of us to that area, you know, and Mm -hmm. then we knew it was our path. We just didn't know how to get there quickly enough. And you both Mm -hmm. brought such a wonderful, diverse experiences, you know, from what you were doing, Christy, living in New York and studying at Parsons and working at The Gap. Andrea, you were a a great business mind. And Mm -hmm. and to be able to really bring those uh, synergies together, fabulous. For you, Tommy, I mean, I'm surprised you didn't grow up wanting to be a hockey player. What happened there? <laughs> well, you know what, Jeannie? I have a very different answer to that question because I actually, and Christy will corroborate this, thought that I would be a fashion designer. I was always, from an extremely early age, super, super into fashion. And, you know, I grew up really in a way identifying with fashionable people who were in my orbit. You know, my grandmother was very fashionable, my Aunt Liz was really into clothes and and was a really unique character. And then into my teens, you know, I I fell in love with vintage fashion. And I spent all of my time in Kensington Market trying to find cool clothes to wear. I had this fringe suede jacket that I was obsessed with. And then into my 20s, you know, I in coming out as a gay man in the Toronto scene, I really was attracted to and ended up becoming friends with people who were like-minded in that way. And the crazy thing, like the really interesting thing about being in Toronto in the late 80s and early 90s is that as how many of us went into creative business and in particular fashion from that time period. Like I was dancing on top of speakers with Kirk Pickersgill and Stephen Wong of Greta Constantine when I was 22 years old. Um, Dean and Dan Caton were fixtures on the scene and in my social group. Um, to Lee, uh, you know, there were multitudes of people who were hugely influential in terms of my early nightlife life, um, who then went on to these spectacularly stellar creative careers. So it's always been in me. And, and, you know, I segued into interior design because it was something that just came really supernaturally to me. And, and my path diverged from fashion into interiors just in a really completely organic way. And that's where I ended up. But I'm still very much connected to the world of fashion. I'm interested in the synergies uh, between fashion and interiors, obviously, always, because it's, it's something that we all live with so intimately, the way we dress and the way we live. Uh, how uh, uh, does one really play on the other? I mean, what what follows what do you feel? Or is it just, you know, two things that kind of happen simultaneously? 
sense of style of in terms of sartorial style, sense of style in terms of you know interiors and lifestyle. I'll come at it. I'll come at it from a very personal perspective, Jeannie. You know, I believe. I mean, I can tell you that some of my favorite interior spaces through the eras, through the decades of interior design, have been the personal homes of fashion designers. I idolized Bill Blass. When he died, mm-hmm. I was at Sotheby's in New York at the estate auction <sighs> yeah. of his belongings from his farm and his famous Sutton Place apartment. Yeah. I have um, the alarm clock from beside his bed. Yeah. I have a beautiful magnifying glass from the farm. And I have a collection of letter openers, a couple of which I gifted to mentors of mine in the interior design business. So, so Bill Blass's uh, style, let's say, and the way he lived, uh, obviously a great inspiration to you. Um, why? Was it that strong nod to classic traditionalism that he really was so famous for? It was absolutely that. It was his, um, you know, before there was Ralph Lauren, really there was Bill Blass doing a holistic life of design. So he was as concerned with the way he he looked, the way he spoke, the way he dressed, as he was with the way he lived in his homes. So because he was so scholarly in his approach to all of that, he developed relationships with antiques dealers and art dealers in, you know, in England and in the East Coast of the United States and some of the best people in the business in terms of interior designers he worked with and collaborated with. So it was really his approach that I was attracted to. It was this idea that design or interior design is one aspect of a bigger life. So Mm. it's about everything you do. It's about everything you see. And it's about the people that you bring into your environment and what you present Mm. to them. I remember um, when Andrea and Christine first started Smythe, I was uh, editor-in-chief of FQ magazine. So it must have been like in 2004 to, you know, we started exactly. magazine in 2003. That's when you started your, your label. And I remember this brilliant little jacket that I still have. I want you to know, because I, I hold on to those wonderful things that I really believe represent great design in my closet. I will never throw it out, whether it fits or it doesn't. White and brown houndstooth <laughs> little jacket. It was almost like a little riding yeah. jacket. It, it sort of flared a little bit at the hip. It's just the most precious... And I remember being so delighted and a kind of surprised because, I mean, there have been a, a healthy handful of, of wonderful Canadian designers over the years, to be sure. But I'd rarely seen that level of proficiency in terms of technique, in terms of direction, in terms of a, a, a very strong sense of editing that had gone into that jacket. Um, and the fact that it was, for, you know, for two young women who had just started this design business in Toronto, I was just absolutely charmed. Gives one such a strong point of view. What does it have to do with upbringing, education? Tell me. It was what we wanted. It's what we liked, especially in the beginning when you could be so pure. And um, we wanted to wear everything. Now we have a sort of a commercial mindset where it's what sells and what we want to wear. We try and manage both things. But at the beginning, it was what did we want? How did we we want it to fit? And uh, we were naive enough and small enough to not care about anything else. And we were lucky that enough people agreed. And so it was just came from a pure place of, I have this in my mind and I can't find it in the market. I love this great quote, which is, the smartest people are not the people with all the answers. They're the people with all the questions. 
And I will say objectively about Christy and Andrea, when they first started in the business, they came to the table with a huge amount of knowledge and obviously scads of style. But you two, every time you wanted to learn something or explore something that you did not necessarily know how to do, you reached out to other people in your orbit and in the fashion industry and received enormous generosity in return in terms of help. And I will say, you know, Jeannie, I think that scholarship and an ability to ask for assistance are probably the two key things to success in creative pursuits of any kind. I had mentors. I have, I have them still. I will never know everything there is to know about what I do for a living. I learn something every single day I go to work. And I will always be, you know, humble enough to ask the questions if I don't know the answer. So mm. I, I, I I've observed Christy and Andrea do that over the years. They do a lot less of it now than they did in the beginning, of course. But that was, I think, part of the secret to mm. your success, wouldn't you both say? Well, Definitely. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take it. I would also add just to what Andrea was saying that, um, you know, I had come back to Toronto from working at The Gap where we had so many trend resources and so much activity in the design process that when Andrea and I started together, we decided to really, as she said, create things that we wanted in our own closet and not to listen to trends or trend forecasting. We made a decision not to do that, we which don't. we still don't. And I think that has kept our vision very consistent. And we, we are always so happy when somebody says to someone else, is that a Smythe jacket? you know, that it's recognizable as a Smythe blazer, that is for us, that makes us proud. I think mm. and it's just, again, from a, we, we're good partners because we share an aesthetic. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. identical, but we share an aesthetic and it's pretty classic in a lot of ways. Okay, now here's something that I have long um, said, and I'm wondering how you uh, all really feel about this. As Canadians, because you're all three proudly Canadian, do you feel sometimes that you've had to uh, to scream twice as loud to get uh, the recognition that you deserve? You know, it's almost like you have to scream. Uh, uh, twice as loud for half half the money, you know. <laughs> uh, there, that's what I found, anyway. You know, I mean, it's a funny kind of situation to be in. I mean, you do, you know, it is possible to get recognition. And Christy and Andrea, you've had an amazing uh, kind of success uh, on the international stage with some of the, the world's great style icons wearing uh, your garments, like uh, obviously the, the Duchess of Cambridge and and uh, so many others. But has it been? an especially tough nut to crack getting out of that Canadian bubble? Yeah, I'd say it's not because we're Canadian. I think being Canadian is such an asset. It's because we're based in Canada. That makes things difficult. It sure does. The international brand recognition is something that, you know, you know, when we have gained some sort of notoriety, it is because someone very notable outside of Canada has worn us. I it's a struggle that a lot of uh, fashion designers in this country face and it's some of them have picked up and moved and it's been amazing. And some have stayed and, you know, turned away and we're kind of turned away and done something different because mm. it's, it's too difficult. There's not a, a huge audience here. The consumerism isn't as, you know, lucrative here maybe, which is a nice thing about Canada. <laughs> but it's, it's a challenge to be based in Canada, I would say. And what about I, for you, Tommy? How do you feel about it? I would say... Maybe for interior design, a little less so. I find, 
you know, I'm able to be a little bit more nimble in that way. But I also agree with Andrea that, you know, being based in Canada can sometimes be a little difficult. For us too, you know, in interior design, it's really a matter of numbers. It's the same for my media life. You know, the amount of money that you make here is directly related to the number of people who who live here and who you sell to. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot more. What I do is definitely a luxury item. Being able to afford an interior designer to design your home is a luxury item. And, you know, Andrea and Christie's product is a lot more accessible than mine in that way. But I there are more rich people in the United States or in Europe than there are in Canada who can afford an interior designer. So the pool is smaller. And yet, you know, there are a lot of people competing for the same projects and, and, and gigs. So yes, it's a challenge in some ways, but it also, we get hired often for this overarching sort of idea that the rest of the world has about Canadians, that we're authentic and that we're honest and that we're hardworking and and those things are massive assets in terms of edging you know out over the competition internationally for sure i've worked you know all over the place in europe and in the united states and in canada and you know yeah i've definitely made less money than my american counterparts doing so but sir i did did want to add though just when tommy said luxury and i thought well but none of us have left we all could have picked up and left mm-hmm. yes i've but had opportunities lo- to work in new york sure it's a luxury to live in canada and i think I'll speak for myself, but I'm willing to forgo some of the the brand recognition and possibly the growing the business bigger um, to be able to live in this country. It's, a, it's you know it's worth it. How do you feel that uh, what we've been going through this past year, which has been pretty treacherous and um, scary for so many of us, how do you feel that may affect uh, appetites for things like you know? luxurious home design or true high quality um, clothing. How do you think it's changed us as consumers? I'd say it makes us more thoughtful about every decision, purchasing Mm -hmm. decision we make. And I think my mentality is not to be wasteful. Yeah. I think, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, I totally agree. I think that we're more conscious, but also I'm thankful that our brand has never been fast fashion. We endeavor to to have a product that is, you know, longstanding and has has quality and detail and is in people's closets for a long time. And I think that feeds into, I think people's choices are going to be about um, investing in pieces that they care about and that don't circle out of their closet, but stay in their closet that are versatile. And also that you're thinking about your planet and your people and your environment and your consumerism more, I think, think coming out of this experience this year. I definitely would agree with my sisters on that. I say sisters because Andrea really is the third Smite sibling. Um, We, before Christy and I had stepsisters, uh, Andrea really was the third sibling. So I agree with my siblings in the sense that, (laughs) you know, I think people are being more thoughtful. The central sort of theme of what I try to do as a creative person in, in the realm of interior design is based on three pillars, which are basically inspiration, scholarship, and courage. And, you know, that middle pillar of scholarship is really important. I try to encourage my clients that you know, when I work with them, we're on a journey. And, and a huge part of that journey is knowing everything that you can know about the things that you bring into your daily life. So, you know, is it made with the best materials? Is it made, you know, ethically? Is it made 
um, in a way that will serve you in the way that it needs to? And is it made with the best possible design? Is it original? Is it authentic? And so all of those things, I think, are, you know, pushing out some of those things that feel a little more generic and a little less authentic. And luxury goods, Jeannie, I, I mean, I've always been fascinated with, you know, Hermes, and Louis Vuitton and Gucci and all of the and Prada, all of the big sort of like luxury labels. I do worry about the evolution of those things as we move forward. The pendulum swung in a way that luxury goods became fast fashion in a way. They were just really expensive fast fashion. And everybody was wearing the same things and had the same wallet and the same shoe. And, you know, I think that luxury brands will probably now after this global pandemic and the experiences that we've had, maybe move back to a slightly more artisanal place. I think that the idea of everybody having having that must-have item for the season is probably going to segue or sort of evolve into everybody having to have something that's really special and unique versus that same thing that everyone wants and clamors for. Yeah, it's obviously a, a sensibility that uh, less really is more. Uh, how would you suggest, okay, I'll start with uh, the gals first, uh, Christy and Andrea. How would you suggest somebody approach this kind of new age or new new awareness if they haven't yet even had a chance to to go out much? And, and these days, none of us are really having a chance to go out much. But people who really believe in the philosophy that that you all are really talking about and really want to start perhaps seeing their closets, and later I'll ask you, Tommy, their homes through that particular lens, what would you suggest they do? Look look in your own closet. I mean, I'm a Mm -hmm. huge editor, purger. I like to, I really did do a lot of purging during COVID and I rediscovered Mm -hmm. some, you know, things that are amazing. And then I did buy some really nice loungewear because I needed some really nice loungewear. <laughs> so it's just bringing into your attention what you need, what you, what's su- superfluous, paring it down for me. Christy keeps everything. I don't. Yeah. And, you know, you're allowed to, if you can, you're allowed to treat yourself to something that you're going to use. And those, what, what we're going to use in the immediate future changed. You know, it's... I have a lot of beautiful heels for that haven't been worn. I haven't worn a heel. I don't even know in, you know, six months or something. So I hope I get to wear them, but it's for me right now, I can invest in a really nice slide (laughs) (laughs) because that's what I'm living in. So it's not that you can't indulge yourself, but obviously you want to indulge yourself in a a little bit of more of a practical way right now and Mm. rediscover what's already in your closet has been huge. Well, the, my, our daughters are really into thrifting right now. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, what was a huge part of our history together. But, um, and then they're doing alterations and renovations and we did tie dyeing and we chop things and we fold things and we stitch them and we embroider on them. And so there's a lot of kind of crafting going on on it on, you know, vintage clothing and mm-hmm. so upcycling. And nostalgic crafting, gimping and beading and a lot of that happening. But you're you're feeling obviously uh, good about the stash that you already have and you were you're proceeding with caution, but you're uh it's not like anyone's gonna stop shopping anytime soon. 
No. Oh, I did want to add actually one last thing before Tommy chimes in. Um, Tommy has always said, um, buy the best and it only hurts once. And that does speak to buying something that you really, really love and want and has quality behind it. And I don't think Andrea and I talk about that, that statement all the time. We laugh about it and talk about it. And also we've never regretted that type of purchase. Like where you just say, you know what? I love it. I really love it. It is expensive. I shouldn't be doing it. But when you do do it, you actually end up wearing and using that piece for so long. By the cost, by the number of wears. That's, that's my, that's right. That's my math. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's math. That, that is a lot such good practical advice, Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> What about for you, Tommy? How do you think uh, this whole you know year that we've been struggling through really is going to affect the way that we're going to want to live in our homes or the the way our homes will be working for us? It's such a big question, Jeannie, and you know it's something that I have spent a great deal of time thinking about. Um, I plan to write a little bit about my thoughts on that during this time and in get in getting those thoughts together. Here's a couple of things just sort of off the top. I think at our core, the way that we express ourselves sartorially or in our homes with the things that we choose to present are directly connected to our feelings of self-esteem and our feelings of connectivity and happiness. It is how we connect. It's a way in which we connect with other people. When you invite people into your home, which we have not been able to do, Having those people in your home and showing them your your version of the expression of yourself through the arrangement of the things that you have in your home is important in terms of human connection. Just as the way that you dress when you're going to see someone, whether it's an individual person, a small group, or at a party, is an expression of respect for those people. It's an expression of who you are, what you're thinking, how you're feeling at the moment. Fashion is very cyclical and it's very seasonal. We haven't had seasons or cycles during COVID. That's been difficult. I feel like we're in this kind of very insular, very isolated, seasonless world right now. And I think the great challenge moving forward, getting through the end of this, is going to be to find ways in which we can express ourselves in those ways and share in those ways in different ways. So I have been getting dressed up for Zoom calls um, sometimes in funny ways, like sometimes I'll just put on, you know, a wig <laughs> you know, just to make people laugh when they, when they see me appear on their screen. But I've also been putting on a collared shirt and a blazer just to go downstairs to my desk to work for the day, because that matters to me. How I dress affects, directly affects how I feel. And so I think people have forgotten to give themselves that on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So my recommendation would be dress up once in a while, even if it's just for your kids and your husband Mm -hmm. or your boyfriend or girlfriend or your dog, Mm -hmm. do it because there are endorphins that are created from that. You feel better from that. Yeah. There's no question that uh, dressing up has incredible transformational qualities to it and really can take you to a whole other place psychologically. I mean, we've seen that so often. So yeah, it is a great great exercise in kind of soul-surfing. And uh, I think so. I, I think, yeah, really important. What are you looking forward to the most coming up in terms of creative projects, in terms of stuff you're just getting excited about? I'm looking forward to eating in a restaurant. Uh, oh, you haven't I, been I, back? I miss that so much. That's not creative projects. I'm also looking forward. <laughs> 
I mean, as for coming from the perspective of the Smythe brand, you know, we've designing Spring 21, which we're about to shoot next week. It's interesting because who knows where we'll be mm-hmm. by the time that collection ships. So Christy and I had a mind towards more casual dressing, softer dressing. And we don't know if people will be out and about and wanting, you know, let's face it, a tailored blazer isn't the first thing on, well, maybe on Tommy's list, but not on everyone's <laughs> list. Right I am really looking forward to the pendulum swinging back. I think it's going to take 18 months or a year to yeah. where we are all done with our loose yeah. flowy clothing and we want to go back to mm-hmm. very tailored dressing. And I think there mm. will be a reaction in, you know, out in the future. And for me, that's our DNA. That's our, yeah. you know, that's that I'm looking forward to. It's a long goal. Yeah. I'm looking <laughs> Wearing an outfit that has ten pieces, <laughs> I want to be layered. I want so many layered, layered pieces. I really am looking forward to that. Um, and I also think that Spring Twenty One, this collection will will be quite sentimental to us because we designed it during COVID, and that was a crazy period in our friendship, our business, and um, and we were so strict. Um, oh my gosh, we, so we went back to the sort of philosophy of when we started the business, which is if we couldn't get 10 meters of sampling mm-hmm. and the mill came back and said, you have to take 50 meter rolls, mm-hmm. we said, no, thank you. And we were so cost conscious because sampling in our, in our business is the most expensive part. And it was fun to have limits again. That's right. It was really fun and interesting. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I hate to use the silver lining overused phrase of COVID, but uh, it goes back to everybody slowed down, kind of took a traditional approach to life, a more hearkening back to the olden days. And it's kind of fun. Yeah, I know. It was uh, it was certainly fun at the beginning of it for me. Yeah. And now <laughs> I'm getting a little bit, mm, okay, uh, but maybe maybe it is the new normal. And, uh, and obviously yeah. we do have to embrace it. Tommy, for you, I mean, are you working on a book? Sounds like uh, the cogs are really turning there. Oh, I hope my editor isn't listening because I'm so behind on the book. But yes, I am working on a book. I found it very difficult to write during this time because I also started a new business just two weeks before lockdown happened. So, you know, leaving Sarah Richardson Design was a big step for me. Uh, I've turned 50 during COVID. A lot of change has happened for me during this time where otherwise nothing's changed. So it's been a real dichotomy for me. But I would say, you know, the one thing that I'm most looking forward to is really getting back to work outside of my own hometown. You know, I've done so much work in recent years in cities um, and places like Chester, Nova Scotia and Boston and Connecticut and England. And I have two projects potentially that as soon as we're able to travel will really ramp up for me, one in Spain and one in Colorado. For me, it's, it's this managing impatience Thing, which is funny because one of my big bump, bumper stickers has always been impatience is the enemy of good design, which I truly believe. But I've been so impatient to get out into the world and sink my teeth into projects in different regions where I can really learn about where I am. I've never designed a lodge in Colorado. And the, the prospect of that for me is so exciting and so interesting because I can really learn about that place and that region and the terrain there and try to translate that in terms mm-hmm. of an interior that will really, you know, delight my clients. Mm-hmm. So that's for me, that's it. Just getting out. I, I got to get out. <laughs> you <laughs> got to get, get out of this place. Listen, it, it, you all have inspired me greatly. Uh, I mean, even before this conversation, but yeah, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And it sounds like uh, all three of you are just 
you know, really chomping at the bit to get out there and, uh, and, and strut your stuff. And you've been doing it so beautifully uh, for all these years. I look forward to a whole lot more. Thank you so much for this. Such a joy to uh, talk to all of you and uh, continued success. Can I just Thank say, you Jeannie, so much, Jeannie. I just want to say before we let you go, how much you are loved, not just by your yeah, country I'm crying now, though, and not <laughs> just by the international fashion community, but how much you are loved by our family. You have always been so supportive, so encouraging, so happy for all of us, all three of us, when we've achieved our successes in our work lives. So thank you from us and, and know how much we really love you. We do. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To see video versions of the podcasts, check out tsc.ca slash style matters. You can watch Style Matters Thursday on TSC or on the tsc.ca website. New episodes of Beyond Style Matters will be coming at you every Monday. Till next time, I'm Jeannie Becker. <laughs>